Hey, welcome to Genre Exposure, a film podcast. Join us as we explore the wide world of cinema, broaden our horizons one movie at a time. I'm one of your hosts, Dustin, and as usual, I'm here with Jason. Hey, everyone. How you doing, man? Doing well. How about yourself? Pretty good, and I'm very excited because today, for the first time ever in history, we have a special guest on the show. Yay! So I am very proud to introduce, onto Genre Exposure, Chris, the 4K Outlaw. Hello, everyone. Hey, Thank Chris. you guys for having me on. Absolutely, man. How you doing? Doing good, guys. How are you? Awesome. We're glad to have you here, dude. We're so happy you're here. Happy to be here. So today, we are talking about The Final Girls from 2015, which is your selection. Yes, yes, yes. When you tell me uh, about a you know, pick a slasher, this was the first one that came in my mind. So Cool. Killer. And it's interesting because it is from 2015, the same year as Muck. It is. So I think in the course of talking about this, at least you and me, Jason, we're going to have some uh, compare-contrast mm-hmm. going on. Definitely. Um, cool. So, since we do have you on, and you are a guest, I feel like we need to lean into that a little bit before we get into our usual routine. So, yeah. if you're an astute listener to the show, you actually know who Chris is, because I've told stories before. One of our devotees. Yeah, if you're <laughs> steeped in the genre exposure lore, you, you know this. Um, Chris, you were my next door neighbor growing up. Yes, yes I was, I man. a lot... We watched a lot of horror films. We, we watched, it's crazy to think that we're here doing this <laughs> yeah. now. I mean, because, I mean, we like I see you were, we were neighbors and we mm-hmm. watched so many horror movies together. Yeah. And I, and, you know, I was a big fan of Halloween and I've told this before on um, several platforms, but when I watched Halloween, as soon as I got home, you were the first person I came and talked to about it because I was so excited. <laughs> nice. I love it. Um, and so you do like, I guess you wouldn't call it podcast, but you do like videos about yeah, stuff to you. I started doing uh, YouTube in um, 2015. Actually, this is one of the first um, movies I kind of like championed and was oh, trying nice. to tell everybody about as a Blu-ray outlaw. And then over time, with new physical media coming out, I switched over to 4K outlaw. And I just I do you know basically like unboxings cool. and stuff for new horror movies that are coming out, stuff like that. Awesome. I'll be cool. sure to throw your TikTok in the show notes, and people can go check that thank out. Thank you. Thank you. Spread the love. Show the love. Nice. But otherwise, I want to know what you guys have been watching. Well, should we talk about a movie that we all watched together? Yeah, yeah, I think so. We all went to go see Evil Dead Rise. We did. And the Evil Dead franchise is very dear to me, personally. It's one of the first horror film franchises that I really fell in love with back in the day. I'd say it's important to all of us. Yeah, yeah. man. Yes, Most man. horror fans. Yeah, you guys know what I'm talking about. But I was oh, yeah. probably like 14, 13 or 14 the first time I saw it. Mm. saw the first Evil Dead and I thought it was legit scary uh, and saw the second one and uh, the, the second movie is so innovative and so special and mm-hmm. so weird and different I literally at the end of that movie and this is not hyperbole but I felt the same way I felt after watching like a Star Wars film because mm. I was that especially with that ending I was so hyped Yeah, <laughs> and I felt like I'd seen something like new and revolutionary yeah. oh yeah for sure and um, uh, long story short, Evil Dead Rise did not affect me the same way that did. <laughs> I know that's a high bar, yeah. Yeah, but yeah. It's, it's still part of the Evil Dead movies. So, mm-hmm. you know, I got to judge it against those. But, uh, okay. So, what about you guys? What was your experience with, like, Evil Dead franchise? Well, me and Dustin, I mean, we've... I mean, we're, we're this, this is too, our yeah. friendship, really. Yeah. I mean, as far as, like, horror goes, because I was raised super 
religious, and I was not allowed to watch horror movies. And if I did, I had to hide it. Oh, dude. I'm Slip sorry. over to my house. And so, I sli- yeah, so Dustin's <laughs> house was like the place where I got away, and he showed me Evil Dead 2 and Army of Darkness the same night. Nice. So that was our big, like... Great night. Yeah, great. And he even made an RPG, and I remember, like, I told everybody... Like I got a friend that makes games. He was yeah, I was so proud of him. But um, yeah, it was the uh, was it like RPG Maker that computer program where you could make your own like okay yeah video game right yeah I made an Army of Darkness game as a kid that's awesome and like pulled clips from the movie yeah. and stuff oh very cool yeah it was it was awesome so uh, and I was also where I was raised really religious I was kind of scared of scary movies mm-hmm. uh, especially ones that delved into like you know demons and mm-hmm. paranormal oh yeah so Ash was like a cool. Um, you know, mediator to not make me as scared. So like I said, I saw two in Army of Darkness the same night with you, and they're two of my favorite movies of all time. Two is one of my favorite movies of all time. Hell yeah. And then I watched Evil Dead alone, <laughs> and it scared the shit out of me. So, <laughs> how, how old were you guys when you when you watched Gosh, it? Gosh, how old were we? That would have been like 97 or 8, so 13. I would have been 13. I was about to say, yeah, same yeah. age as yeah. me. About, yeah. about the same time. Right of passage. Yeah. <laughs> it, was such a, it was such a monument. There's Like I said, when I left Evil Dead Rise, and the more I thought about it, it was like I didn't... I didn't hate the movie, but there was such a bar that is set with that franchise that yeah. it's, nothing's mm-hmm. ever going to reach it because you're not yeah. ever going to get those feelings back when you were a teenager oh, or a yeah. kid. Yeah. And that nostalgia carries a lot for me. So Yeah. Because it's not just about the gore, which yeah, right, this movie right. had in spades. It's a yeah. very gory movie, so if you're after some cool kills and some gore, you're, you're in luck. But it, yeah, I mean, all, it's, all the effects were just like great. Sure. Point. But it was just also kind of lifeless. It was like every other movie. Because yeah. like in the original films, it's like the camera itself was a character, mm-hmm. and there's none of that uniqueness and and innovation in this at all. I appreciated they didn't try to do like the reboot cool thing that it, it literally is just like another movie in the series, and you can sure. just slot it in there and it exists, right? Which that's cool, but it's like at the same time, it's like they they tried to hit all the things. Like they made sure they said, "Oh, you'll be dead by dawn." Oh, swallow I'll swallow your soul, yeah. which I like that. Which it, it is cool, but it's also it's like you know do. The reason Evil Dead 2 is so monumental, like you're saying, Jason, is like it did all this new shit. Yeah. Yeah. And like blew people's minds. Yeah, and the final girl even says, come get some. I mean, yeah. come on. Uh, <laughs> make, make your own new line. Come on. And it's weird to me, too, because like my whole perception of the franchise is odd because like my actual start, right? Because Chris, your start is I showed it to you. So then yeah. it's like, where did I find it? I had a friend show me Army of Darkness first. Weird. And then I went backwards Weird. to Evil Dead. So what was it like watching Army of Darkness first, not knowing... I mean, you kind of just get it because it, it sets it up. It. It's yeah. like, oh, this weird stuff happened. He That's got true. Warped it, into the past. Yeah, it does a good job. Um, about it, yeah. So I've always enjoyed more like the freneticness and like this kind of comedy mixed up with horror aspect about it. So yeah. Um, real quick, I know we're going to go long on this, but it's it's, it's whatever. Fine. It's cool. Whatever. Um, how do you guys feel about the remake from was it 2013? I think. I I personally find that underwhelming. There's certain actors in there I like. Um, it had an okay look. Mm-hmm. You know, it had that kind of a grimy, groundhouse kind of look. Oh, yeah. Uh, some cool kills. But again, it was just a pelimitation of the original, right. I think. What about you, Chris? Well, I actually didn't see that until, um, God, like a few years after it came out. And I, mm-hmm. I actually really liked it. Mm-hmm. Again, though, it's a weird thing because I have to separate the two. You right. know, I can't. Like, it would be almost like if I tried to rank the entire franchise the the newer ones would be on the bottom, you know right. what I'm saying? Just because it, they yeah. don't reach that level that the original ones do. Mm-hmm. Um, I did like the remake though. I liked the remake um, quite a bit. The opening to the remake I think was one of the best openings of a horror movie, really in a long time. 
right away I knew like okay this is serious this isn't yeah. you know fun or whatever um, it does have a cool opening I'll, I'll give it that yeah. yeah I'm more of a detractor on it I don't know it's just never really sat right with me especially like I have a lot of narrative hangups with it like with Mia and that she's like basically this unrepentant drug addict yeah and she's so like not likable as a character the whole film and then like they deliver you to the end where she hits that flip that's like the evil dead flip that you do where suddenly there's like a big action hero yeah uh, but it's like when I got to that point, I was like, "You didn't really care." I don't, yeah, I don't yeah. care though. Whereas Ash is kind of a goof, even right. in the first movie. You know, he's just kind of a goofy, love-struck mm-hmm. guy. You like, you like guy. him right away, and then yeah. it I, carries you. I don't. I, it's, it's weird. It's like I, I, I like the new one too. But it's mm-hmm. if, if I'm gonna go watch an Evil Dead, I'm gonna go watch you know the original or the show. I mm-hmm. like the show a lot too. Oh, so. the show is oh, great. Yeah, yeah I, it's it's just weird. I don't know how to explain it. It's almost like. It's just a weird vibe. When I left, I was like, it's not a bad movie, and I didn't hate it. There's definitely way worse movies I've seen. But Oh, yeah. It just don't feel the same. I definitely liked Rise better than the remake, but it's still not to that level of the old ones. And I, I really don't know if it ever can be, because like, it, it made me think of last episode, Jason, uh, when we talked about Nightmare on Elm Street really briefly. And I'm pointing because the poster's staring at me right now. But, <laughs> We're all um, looking at the wall. What? We talked oh. about how like anyone replacing Freddy, like, it's hard because... Yeah, it's always going to be Robert England to right. us. It's hard to get past that. Right. And so Evil Dead is kind of like that for me. Like Evil Dead is Ash and his story, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and it's and cool. Sam Raimi directing. It's cool to tell other stories in that universe, sure, but like it never, it's never going to hit the same if it's not him. Yeah, and I, I hate that, but that's that's kind of how I feel. That's the way it is, especially when they're still alive. Yeah, I, I want to say. Yeah. Like, yeah, right. I know he's getting up in years, but like you know, uh, do something animated or something crazy like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. All right, Jason, what have you been watching on your own? Oh, oh okay. Um, well, I, I saw another recent film, uh, Renfield. Ooh. Nicolas Cage movie. Um, kind of a high concept. I think you all know what it's about. <laughs> <laughs> Set in the modern day, and Renfield is still his servant, but he feels put upon and exploited by this toxic, overbearing boss. As someone that plays a lot of Vampire the Masquerade, this is on point, <laughs> so... Yeah. No, I, I, I like that premise. That's mm-hmm. a fun premise. Oh, yeah. And the movie starts really well because mm-hmm. he's in like the support group and stuff. And we get this fun flashback where it uses uh, footage from the original Dracula, but it's got Nicolas Cage instead of Bela oh. Lugosi. Oh, no. So you're seeing scenes at the yeah. castle, and it's the guy who plays Renfield, whose name I can't remember, meeting Nicolas Cage. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Sorry, my man. <laughs> meeting Nicolas Cage and like them at the opera and stuff like that. And that's really fun. But, man... It, it, it was not a good movie for me. It's very, uh, very weak. Nicolas Cage was great. He's mm-hmm. he's really hamming it up. He's, he's he's going to town. He's having a good time, and he's enjoyable. So whenever he's on screen, it, it's pretty entertaining. But otherwise, I just didn't care for any of the other characters. That's what I heard from a lot of people. It's a very messy story. It's mm-hmm. just a lot of CG blood and stuff. Like there's this scene inside this apartment. I like the. Um, Outside the apartment, like the the quad outside, the courtyard. That's the word I'm looking for. And they're fighting, and he's ripping all these people apart, and there's fake blood flying everywhere. And then it kind of pulls back, and there's no blood anywhere whatsoever. You know? And, and there would have been. Yeah. All the carnage he was causing. And it's just, it's one of those things that just takes me right out of the movie. And at one point, they're, like, being chased by all these corrupt police officers. Like, the whole police force is corrupt. And they're on the run, Renfield and this lady cop. But then the very next scene, they're, like, having breakfast in the middle of the day at some <laughs> diner not hiding out or anything and it's like huh. oh okay 
was was it edited by the same person that edited Muck? <laughs> <laughs> that could be. I mean, look that uh, up. Have you seen the movie Muck? I have okay, we're gonna make a lot of jokes about it because okay. it was it was a film. Yeah, <laughs> it was Dustin's last pick. Yeah. So I cannot endorse Renfield. It was a cool idea, but it just didn't mm-mm, huh. didn't do it for me. I think I gave it one star on Letterboxd. Oh, sad times. Yeah. I was really pulling for it because I loved Cage's look as Dracula. Yeah, and again, he's he's fun, but he's he's not in it enough, and it's not when he's not there, it's lifeless. Yeah, it is what it is. Yeah. How about uh, how about you? You want to go? Yes, we'll save our special guest for last. Yeah. Well, um, best for last. Well, I've got two to talk about, so maybe I'll do one now, and then I have one that's relevant to our episode, so I'll save that. Yeah. See how end. Dustin just loves to, to oh, hog yeah. everything yeah, yeah. and <laughs> breaks all the rules, I, does what he wants. See, I made the rules, and now I break them. <laughs> That's how it works. Um, so I have to talk about Bo was Afraid, obviously. Ah, Ari Aster. Fucking yes. Three for three. I loved it to death. It's so good. I think it's going to polarize a lot of people because it's, it's not quite a horror film. I know uh-huh. there's, like, there's definitely horror elements in it, but I think for most people, if you're like a diehard horror fan and you're like, yes, Hereditary was the scariest thing ever, hitting up the next one, this isn't that film. It's, it's much more of a drama, uh, elements of black comedy, very like surreal and psychological. Um, and it, it hit me really hard because, you know, Bo is afraid. And a lot of the film is about his anxiety mm-hmm. and the way that like his life and his upbringing has made him this like just this nervous wreck that's afraid of everything. And then he gets put in this. I don't want to spoil too much because sure. like, it's really the unfolding of the right. narrative that matters. Um, this is one I would love to do an episode for, but I really think it has to have the time for people to see it first mm-hmm. because you've got to have the experience. But it's just like. Joaquin Phoenix kills it. It's such a unique character, especially for him to play. When you think of like other people that he's been in films and stuff, um, and it's just it's just deep on his mental state and his anxiety and everything he's gone through. And it's one of those things like, again, there's not like overt like scary scary parts. There's no demons or anything like that. Um, there is a weird monster at one point, but it's kind of more of like, is that even real? You don't mm-hmm. know. Um, but it has the same things from Midsummer and Hereditary. Where it's like the, I guess the emotional trauma is what I'm going to say. Like yeah. when something happens and the character is sad and like you're sitting there watching it and you feel it. Like you yeah. feel your heart sink and it makes your your chest tighten and you're just like, ah, oh, dude, hmm. this is so rough. And I like, I feel this. I feel them feeling this in this moment. Okay. Um, so it's everything he's been doing in all his films just continuing. All right. And I loved it and it's amazing. Can't recommend it enough. It's quite the endorsement. I'll, yeah. I'll keep it brief because I want I want people to just see it and experience. Yeah, it. I hope to catch it next week. <clears throat> yeah, same here. I've heard nothing but great things about it. So. Yeah, love it. Sweet. All right, Chris, what do you have? Uh, well, w- before we went and saw Evil Dead Rise, me and you went and watched uh, the Pope's Exorcist. Yes, yes, we did. And I had absolutely no, <laughs> um, I had no like uh, expectations for it. So maybe that's why I enjoyed it so much. I know yeah, that you it, you asked me and I was like, "Fuck it, why not?" Yeah. This, I, <laughs> this time of year, I try if it comes out and I'm going to support it. I want sure. more to do well. Yeah, so yeah. you know, and I actually really enjoyed it. I had a better experience. With that, then I did Evil Dead Rise. As crazy as that may sound, well, you know, I, I saw it's done well and it's getting a sequel. I think so. Really? Yeah. I thought it was. You know, there's so many Exorcist movies, and they get mm-hmm. kind of like lost in translation, and everything is, you know, compared to the original Exorcist. Of course. And you can't do that. But I mean, I thought it was really good. I mean, they did a good job with the Exorcist part, which is not like overwhelming. They did a great job with the um, kind of like the politics, and they didn't like hide the fact that the. Catholic Church has a lot of like infighting and stuff. Yeah, you know, weird stuff happening on that. Was actually my favorite part of it. I think. Yeah, I I found that to be really the. I don't want to like spoil, but like you know, the the story of like what troubled Father Amarth Mm -hmm. was awesome. 
I thought. Well, not awesome. Like, it's horrible, but, you know. Yeah. I don't know. It was just it had a really cool vibe. And um, I love the music. I love that the dude is, you know, fighting demons, riding around on a moped. Uh, yes. <laughs> I mean, that was awesome. <laughs> Drinking nice. whiskey. I was just waiting for him to light up a cigarette and just, you know. But mm-hmm. I was, re- I really liked it. I, I did. Again, I had no expectations. So that's, I think that's why I liked it so mm-hmm. much. Yeah, so I'm I, happy to hear that there's a sequel. I was kind of more average on it, but yeah, like, to, I expected to go in and just hate it, but to, to it actually, like, get me up to, like, yeah, that, that was all right. I didn't mind that. Uh, I was impressed. And I think, like, Russell Crowe, like, he really sells the character. He does, well. man. Yeah. He does a great job. I think, too, it's like, when, when I watched Evil Dead Rise and it was over, I didn't really think about it that much. Mm-hmm. And I'm still thinking about the Pope's Exorcist. Mm-hmm. There was lots of little seeds planted, so... Mm-hmm. I really enjoyed it. And if they're doing a sequel, that ending, they really lay it on a hook for one. So Yeah. Yeah. Which so, I didn't know any of that stuff that they, you know. Oh, yeah. He has like thousands and thousands of documented cases in real life they could draw on. It's kind of the same appeal as like the Conjuring. Oh, they, yeah. With the Warrens and everything. And stuff. Hmm. So you're a huge Exorcist fan, right? What's your opinion on the upcoming remake? Are you are you <laughs> are you cautiously optimistic? Doesn't or it have you... a title now? Isn't it The Exorcist <laughs> Believer or something yeah. like yeah. that? Yeah. Yeah. So is it an actual remake or is it like a pseudo sequel? It's a rebootquel. It's going to be a continuation oh, only to is. the first film. Okay. Oh, man. I don't mind ignoring two, but I actually quite like three. Oh, I don't yeah. have that. What's, I don't have that. Um, like, I was so invested and scared and everything when they announced that they were going to be doing the Halloweens. Mm-hmm. Mm. So um, I, I can kind of sit back with The Exorcist a little bit. I don't have that kind of like nostalgia. Right. I yeah. love The Exorcist. It's one of oh, my yeah. top ten favorite Fucking horror classic. movies of all time. But I'm... Hmm. You don't have that attachment where it's like, if, if, it gets, if they get it wrong, it's not going to like crush you. I'm going to be upset. Yeah. But I mean, I'm not going to like, you know, cry about it. Blumhouse is real hit or miss with me. It, it feels like yeah. for every one good they have, a couple turds follow. No, I feel the same way. So For sure. I'm going to remain um, optimistic, but I don't... Mm. I mean, <laughs> this way, I loved the Halloween season the last three years or four years when, when Halloween 18 kills and ends came mm-hmm. out because it kind of was like, oh, cool, there's a Michael Myers movie out while it's Halloween time. Sure. So I'm kind of yeah. I'm, I'm happy that 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 you know we're going with the Exorcist around Halloween time. So I'm really happy about that. And plus, there's a Friday the 13th in October. So oh yeah, oh, yeah, yeah right. Yeah. Ooh, we'll have to do special. Yeah. 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 Nice. Ooh, okay. Make some plans. So, Dustin, you said you had another movie? I do. I have a little, like, uh, continuation follow-up on the last episode. Because I I, I made a promise. and (laughs) Of course. i got to keep my promises. So, Uh uh, the director of Muck, Steve Walsh, he made a second film, Kill Her Goats. It's technically supposed to be the prequel to Muck that then they kind of scrapped and remodeled into this. But it's in the Muck-verse, right? But it's in the Muck-verse, and it's a Muck tale. So, um, (laughs) I don't want to be long on this. I'll just try to keep it as brief as possible. Um, I gave it one star... I probably should have given it a half star. It, it's, this is not something Dustin does lightly. He does no. not give out one stars lightly. I'm the four star king. Sometimes, yeah. sometimes mistakenly, <laughs> but not lightly. I've noticed on your letterbox. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's basically everything that Muck is again, but with a lesser budget. I don't know that for sure. I didn't look at the numbers. It's it's real relevant, but it looks cheaper. Mm-hmm. And it's you know it's all the same stuff. They've got Kane Hodder. He's this cool character called Goatface in this awesome like Goatman costume with a chainsaw. At one point, he even has like a double chainsaw where it's like two chainsaws on a stick. <laughs> like Darth Maul. Like Darth chainsaw. Maul. And it's okay. fucking awesome, and it's like sparking and going crazy. <laughs> However, there's like one good kill at the start with that, and then like there's barely any Kane Hodder. 
it's mostly like 90 minutes of Playboy Playmates in their underwear walking around. Are they, Sign um, me up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that is the best thing about yeah. Muck. That was the best thing about Muck. See, my conclusion on Muck last time was like, if Chris and me went to go rent a movie, yeah. and this was the movie we were in, we would have been like, ah, jackpot. Yeah. <laughs> doesn't, doesn't matter that it sucks. I can't <laughs> respect that. I, I said there's that age, like when you were a, a kid renting movies, where it was like, how much boob is in this yeah, movie, yeah, though? Yeah. Um, I learned more from Terry Firmer watching with you than I ever did in any of my sex ed classes. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, that's a trauma classic. Um, but, yeah, so it's like the plot's like it's very convoluted, and it's like this, this girl named Audra is going back to her hometown of West Craven, the same location where mm-hmm. Muck takes place. Mm-hmm. Uh, shout out to West Craven. Mm-hmm. Um, and she's buying a house, and the house has like a legacy, and there's a curse on it, and people go crazy that live there. There's and it's, a goat man. There's a goat man that's killing people with no connection <laughs> to the plot, and it becomes this dumb thing about like family inheritance, and there's a plot to like kill people, and you don't know if it's like it's that thing or is it a supernatural thing, and then, and then like the plot goes just off the rails for no reason, and she starts killing people even mm. though she was the lead, and it's like was it the curse or? Just go crazy. It makes no fucking sense. And okay. The more I watched it, I was like, I really think this guy just needs to direct like porn or like softcore or something, because like he's good with like the cheesecake scenes. Yeah, but just go 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 for horror porn. Yeah. But know, as far as far as like making a narrative or, or building emotion or feelings or anything, it's... I, I'm willing to forgive a lot more if there's porn in it. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> for sure, for sure. Uh, I, I guess this is my conclusion: is I gave Muck like a, a three star, I think, and that was like a generous three star, just because it made me remember of that time mm-hmm. being a kid looking for boobies in movies and just being a little. Per- yeah. Um, what do you mean? We still do it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, right, right. But um, so I, I gave that one a little bit of a pass because it was kind of fun and it's funny to talk about Muck even like yeah. once you see it. However, this is now the second feature. This is you know time's gone on. So mm-hmm. my my first thing going in is like how have you improved? How has your your filmmaking grown or changed or anything? And it kind of got worse Ooh. compared to Muck. So. Um, <laughs> Do not proceed past Muck. <laughs> what, I'm, what I'm here to say. Uh, I, I'm sorry, my guy that made this film. Uh, you know, it is what it is. Yeah. We're always honest, and that's, that's we're how straight it, shooters of nothing else. That's how it's got to go. It, it exists for some people, and I'm sure some people dig oh, it. Oh, yeah. And if you do, that's awesome. More power to them. Yeah. All right. But I do own the Blu ray, so. <laughs> of course, you do. <laughs> All, right. All right. So I guess that brings us to our feature. Yes. about The Final Girls from 2015, directed by Todd Strauss-Schulson. I guess we'll begin like we always begin. The genre is horror, and obviously it's a slasher because we're talking about slashers. Uh, I think it's good to put in that this is more of the like meta-style slasher owing back to Scream, which we kind of set up last time was a thing. Mm-hmm. And also, more importantly, it's also a comedy. Yes. Yeah. A well-done horror comedy, I think, I would say. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yes. I would agree. Um, I'll hit you guys with the synopsis. Do it. A young woman grieving the loss of her mother, a famous screen queen from the 1980s, finds herself pulled into the world of her mom's most famous movie. Reunited, the women must fight off the film's maniacal killer. Nice and simple. Yep, succinct. Sounds like a slasher. Must be a slasher. Seems good. 
so uh, where to begin on this? I think I wanted to set this up a little bit because I have to always bring stupid research into this. Um, before we go like deep into the plot and stuff, I wanted to talk about just the trope of the final girl. I know we mentioned it a little last time. Ah, very good. But yes. this film kind of hinges on that completely. So uh, I pulled the old uh, definition. I'll just throw it out at you guys. So the final girl is a trope in horror films, particularly slashers. It refers to the last girl or woman alive to confront the killer, ostensibly the only one left to tell the story of what happened. Uh, the final girl has been observed in many films, including The Texas Chainsaw Massacre, Halloween, Friday the 13th, Alien, Nightmare on Elm Street, Scream, and so forth. And this was a term that was coined by Carol J. Clover in her book Men, Women, and Chainsaws. Classic book if you haven't read it. Yes, it's from 1992. Uh, Clover suggested that in these films, the viewers began by sharing their perspective with the killer as they moved about and eliminated each person one by one. But over the course of a film, they experience a shift in identification to the final girl as she sort of rises and subsumes that role and moves to take down the slasher at the finale. Yes. Um, the original meaning of saying, like, quote, final girl, as described by Clover, is quite narrow. Uh, a lot of the book that she wrote was uh, focused on, like, the slashers of the 1970s and the 1980s which we talked about last time, that's kind of the golden age for all of this. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the definition that Clover put out was the final girl is a woman who is the sole survivor of a group of people, typically youths, who's chased by a villain and gets a final confrontation where she kills him herself or is saved at the last minute by someone else, usually a person of authority like a police officer. And the character has such a privilege because of her implied moral superiority. For example, she is the one that will refuse sex, drugs, or other such behavior, unlike her more adventurous friends. Mm-hmm. So I think that's pretty on point. I think we're all good with that. Oh yeah, yeah. And that's sure. that's one of the um, that's one of the emphasis of how the slasher films were always so kind of puritanical and fairy tale like. Mm-hmm. For sure. Um, and then this has kind of like evolved through the years too. Like there are earlier examples of this where before we would you know coin the term oh final girl. Um, so according to Clover, like going by that definition, someone like, uh, Lila Crane from Psycho, she's an example of a female character in a story that survives to the end, but she's not really a final girl because she lacks that moral purity. Mm-hmm. And, um, she's saved by Loomis there at the end. Yeah. Yep. And he's not really like a point of authority. He's more of like the love interest. And not Dr. Loomis. No. Not, not to be confused with Halloween. <laughs> not at all. No, no, no. <laughs> Um, but in Halloween, Lori is saved by someone else in the first film, but it's a different vibe because we see her go through that transformation to like take the action yes. against yeah. Michael. She's definitely qualifies as a final girl. Mm-hmm. And then especially when you get into the sequels mm-hmm. and on. Yeah, for sure. Um, and she was a final girl in a lot of movies. Oh, yeah. <laughs> more than just Halloween, for sure. And then going forward, there are more recent horror movies and shows and stuff that kind of challenge this idea. Because that's like anything. Like, how did Slashers change? Scream kind of took it meta. So how do you evolve on this? There's been, you know, properties where they've kind of tried to, like, challenge this question of, like, what is the final girl? A good example is Buffy Summers and Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Um, She kind of... Yeah. (laughs) Just take a minute to... Oh, Buffy. Uh, She kind of subverts that trope because though she fulfills that role of being, like, the final person that rises up to slay the monster, she's kind of the opposite of that definition. She is, like, the sexy cheerleader. She's the beautiful blonde... And she does, like, you know, hook up with the boys and stuff, but 
she still is the one that rises up in the end. Mm-hmm. So it kind of questions like what what part of that is important in a way. Right. Yeah, things have gotten a little bit less puritanical over the years. Um, and this is the last little point I want to squeeze in from Clover's whole book and everything. To It's a good book. You should pick it up, but to mm-hmm. truncate it. Uh, one of the core premises of this whole theory is that the audience identification is unstable and fluid across gender lines, particularly in slashers. And that's because that uh, during the final confrontation, Clover argues that the final girl becomes masculinized through phallic appropriation, such as taking up a weapon, the knife, the chainsaw, and in turn using that against the killer that has been terrorizing them across the film. Mm-hmm. And so this phenomenon causes the male audience to identify with the young female character in a genre that's ostensibly more male-oriented traditionally. Okay, yeah, that's one interpretation. Just some food for thought. Mm-hmm. Keep us a little, a little scholarly. Our, our like 10% we need to be. <laughs> Have you guys ever heard of a movie called Cherry Falls? Yeah, yeah. love it. Where it's only the, the, the virgins are the ones who are yeah. being killed. Yeah. Right, they try to, to invert the stereotype. That's fun. Cool. So I think now I've shielded us enough from the film, so let's get in. All right, let's do it. So we open on our main character, right? Max Cartwright, played by Tysa Farmiga. Cool to see her leading a horror film like this. Yeah, but before that, we also open with a... Uh, it's a pretty good take on the vintage slasher movie trailer. Oh, yeah, yeah, there is. Because she's watching the trailer in the car. Yeah. And that's our kind of inroad. Yeah, yep. yeah. It's a trailer for Camp Bloodbath. And the killer is named Billy. Mm-hmm. We get from the voiceover, which must be a Black Christmas reference. I mean, it has to be. It has to yeah. be. There's a lot of references in this film. Uh-huh. And he's wearing some sort of a totem-looking mask. Really cool looking. Yeah. And the trailer has like all that fat, uh, fake scratching on it mm-hmm. and everything yeah. and fading and stuff. But it, I mean, it looks pretty good. Yep. Very Friday the 13th vibes. Because mm-hmm. he's got kind of that bulky mm-hmm. physique and it is a summer camp. Yep. And then, yeah, we find out that she's watching it on her phone. It's being watched by uh, Max. Yep. Max Cartwright. And she's watching it because it stars her mother, Amanda Cartwright, played by Malin Ackerman. Mm-hmm. And Max is uh, Tessa Farmiga. Yep. Who has done a lot of horror work. She was in the American Horror Story season, several of those. Yeah, The Nun. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yep. Getting another one of those, too. Yeah. She's a little little sister of uh, Vera Farmiga, Mm -hmm. who, of course, was in the Conjuring movies and the... uh, Bates Motel. Bates Motel. want to keep it slasher-esque related. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. That's cool. Um, Yeah, but so Amanda is at an audition, right, for a film. And and, uh, Max is just kind of waiting on her in the car. Uh, but when she returns, she's sort of downtrodden because she's pretty sure she didn't get the part. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and she's her main up, thing of being upset is that every audition she goes to, she gets typecast because she played Nancy in this Camp Bloodbath film. Yep. Which yeah. Nancy, another reference. Yes. Classic uh, final girl character. Mm-hmm. And she tells her daughter like it's never been a slasher movie because she thinks that it keeps her from getting all those roles. Yeah, holds her back. Now I do take offense here. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm, I must take offense. Point of order. Um, okay, I could see like actors who've done a little horror. They they want to branch uh, branch out and do something different. Yeah, you know, they want some challenging For dramatic sure. roles. But at the same time, it's like if you're a working actor. Horror fans love you, yeah. and yeah. we want to see you over and over and over again. Yeah. So, I mean, it may not be the most dramatically satisfying roles all the time, mm-hmm. but it's going to keep food on your table. Yes. And, and horror fans are there for you. Yeah, I mean, think about like conventions and stuff. How much oh, yeah. Make... Yeah, we don't forget. Yeah. Everyone else forgets. How yeah. many How many people have won Academy Awards, and we never see them again in another movie? You know? For sure. 
Casual fans don't care, but horror fans. We care. You've done, you've done one good movie 60 years ago. We're going <laughs> to flock to the conventions just to see you. That's when you get stuff like, is it's the guy that played like the kid, Jason. Yeah. In, mm-hmm. in the one movie. And, right, right. But he's, awesome. he's made a career out of but it. But it's mm-hmm. awesome, and he's a cool guy, so it's like, yeah, right. for sure. Um, so it's kind of obvious that they're kind of on hard times, but they seem to have a good relationship. And they're like signal along in the car yeah. and everything together. It's really sweet. They actually feel like very much like a mother daughter. Yeah, mm-hmm. they do. It, it, it had a lot of heart. The, mm-hmm. the opening scene, I felt too. Like you oh, could yeah. believe. Yeah. You know, because like who wants who doesn't want to throw their electric bill out the window? <laughs> right. For sure. Yeah. yeah. I bought it too. Like she's a cool mom yeah. too. Yeah. And then the song they listen to that's kind of their song is uh, Betty Davis Eyes. Yes, I love that song. Awesome. Yeah. I had a fun note I dug, dug up about that. Originally, they wanted it to be Madonna's like a prayer. Oh, Betty Davis eyes and much they didn't choice. think they could get it and they actually wrote Madonna and asked her directly and was like this is the movie this is what we're doing would you like help us out with getting this song and she was like she wrote him back and she said that that's the one song she won't license out to really? me and stuff but there was hold on I had it I had there was one movie that she actually it, it was in and maybe that was like a label thing or something but was that the one used for Pepsi though it might have been. That could be the reason. Oh, it was in Never Been Kissed from 1999. Oh, okay. So even though it was in that, she was like, no, I don't license it out anymore. It was off the table, and then they kind of worked their way around to Betty Davis eyes. I think that's better anyway. Yeah, yeah. I think it definitely fit that movie. Mm-hmm. Plus it references Betty Davis, yeah. who's horror adjacent. <laughs> yeah. She's definitely done some horror roles, mm-hmm. you know. And some of her roles are kind of in the precursor on the buildup to mm-hmm. the slasher genre. So Yeah, right. Whatever happened to uh, Baby Jane? That's mm-hmm. a great one. Yeah, that's one I was. Man, that's, of. that's just a disturbing, creepy movie. It's so good. <laughs> um, yeah. So like Max spills a drink on her mom's headshots, and they you know fly on the floor, and her mom gets distracted, and they crash. And the CG here is a little iffy. Mm-hmm. Okay, this is this is the one spot I'm going to knock this film. <laughs> this crash is like ooh, it does yeah. not look good. And it didn't it didn't need to be that extravagant either. No. Yeah. It could have been like off screen. You know, we yeah. know they crash. We don't yeah. need to see... Have the sound and, like, cut the camera and show, like, a tire rolling or something. Yeah. Yeah, yeah we don't need all I didn't that. see it coming. So no. I was like, I was like, whoa. <laughs> yeah. That was kind of... It was emotional for me. I was like, wow, yeah. that's a really out of nowhere... The, the like, editing and the pacing is really good because yeah. there's no way you're going to expect it. Yeah. You're going in blind. If it just wasn't for that iffy effect, it would have been yeah. that much more effective. Which is sad because I'm going to put this out ahead of everything. The rest of the effects throughout the film are pretty great, I think. Yeah. I agree. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we get a little bit of a time jump it's like three years later mm-hmm. and uh, Max is recovering from her loss and she's in college right these are definitely college kids yeah are they aren't they I don't know or was it high school I got the impression it was college I don't know if we're ever told I they, they kind of owed for high school kids but I mean again that's also <laughs> a horror that trope yeah <laughs> slasher <laughs> yeah that's true uh, you know I really don't know they it, give it, me... it doesn't matter it doesn't matter to the plot I just I guess it is irrelevant I had a little question mark there because I didn't really know they're definitely in a movie club so yeah <laughs> we didn't have those in high school they're really. all they're all very well versed right, on their films true. and stuff yeah yeah good point uh, she's hanging out with one of her friends Gertie Played by Alia Shawkat. Shawkat? I'm not sure how you pronounce her last name. but Shawkat, she, sure. She's also great. Of course, she was maybe in Arrested Development. Mm-hmm. She was in the very much horror-adjacent Green Room. I fucking love Green Room. She made a good punk in that, too. Yeah. I believed her character. She sold it. Yeah. And then Duncan, by played by uh, Thomas Middleditch. 
Yeah. Yep. And he's been in, I can't place what he's been in. And for some reason, I didn't look it up. He reminded me of Randy from yeah. the Scream movies. He, it, he that Randy vibe. He is the horror yeah. nerd. Yeah. Oh, wait, wait, no, that's, uh, yeah, that, that is Duncan. Yeah, he steps in. It's Chris was the other character I was thinking of. That yeah, I Chris up. is the hunky one. That's yeah. uh, Alexander well, Ludwig. <laughs> 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 and he's sort of the, uh, you know, Max kind of has a crush on him, but we set up right away, like, what, he had a, a girlfriend and they just broke up. And yeah. It's kind of, like, tumultuous and in the mix. Right. But, yeah, then, then Duncan comes in, which is Gertie's step-brother. Step step brother. Yeah. yeah. And he, he is our Randy, like you said, Chris. Yeah. yeah. But well, I never saw Gertie get stuck in anything, so I'm not really sure if she was actually his stepsister. <laughs> I knew so. you were going to bring that up when I watched the film. I was like, oh, he's going to make the fucking joke. Michael's not here, so if someone has to do I got to do it. I'll take it up. <laughs> yeah, but, but he is like versed and steeped in all, all horror knowledge and horror trivia. I actually, I actually wrote a note down here and underlined it. I wonder if she ever got stuck in the dryer or anything. <laughs> um, and he's real excited to see Max because... Mm-hmm. It's the anniversary of Amanda's death, and they're having like a showing in honor of her double feature of both Camp Bloodbath films. Yep. And she's trying to get Max to go, but Max is being like, uh, I don't know. Because she's never even watched it. It would be a tough mm-hmm. dilemma to be It would be. And that's yeah. something that made me think, too. It's like, what, what is that like? Yeah. Especially if you have a parent that's super famous and has been in all these movies. Mm-hmm. That's got to be weird. And kind of like what she, she died, one of the last things you talked about was this movie. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then notably, it's kind of set up from the start. You know that her character isn't the final girl in the film, yeah. so she does die in the film. So right. to have experienced her death in real life, and then they're asking you to go watch her die in a movie, that's, that's tough. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so then they decide to go. They're at this theater, which must be some cool repertory theater because there's like a poster for Fright Night. Yeah. yeah. Another one of my favorites. Um, and the posters for the movies look good, too. The fake yeah. movies, Camp yeah. Bath. They look like legit. I'd 80s. buy it, yeah. yeah. Yeah, right. As they're rocking up there, that's when we also meet Vicky, which is Chris's ex-girlfriend. Right. Who's a little, little possessive, little stalkery. She's got a new guy, but she's clearly still hung up on him. She's your typical uh, vapid hottie. Yeah. Oh, and she's played by Nina Dobrev. And she actually reminded me of Charisma Carpenter from Buffy. Yeah, playing she had... a very Cordelia-like character. Yeah, she's got that vibe for sure. <laughs> And they keep doing the thing, because they, they keep reinstating how weird Duncan is. Mm-hmm. Like, he's kind of socially awkward, and he's, like, tripping over the ve- red velvet ropes and stuff like that. And I had a, I had a note on that one, too. Okay, because, what's your note? Um, that was, like, not scripted. He accidentally did that, and they liked it, so then they had him... Oh, okay. They kept it in. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> there's apparently the whole shoot, there was a lot of stuff where they would kind of ad-lib little moments or scenes, and they just kept them in the film. Yeah, there's some cool. outtakes at the yeah. end yeah. that kind of verify that, yeah. But it's also like, I don't know, it's, it's a little lazy too because horror fans are always the awkward geeks and stuff mm-hmm. like that. And okay, here's another one. I mean, okay, yes, it's true. But I mean, it Jason, doesn't... <laughs> Jason, go to a mirror and look at yourself. <laughs> we are this character. Fair enough. Fine. <laughs> yeah, so, so they get her there. Um, they're all settling in. We have a wide, diverse cast of people that have come out to watch this movie, which is cool. Yep. There's obvious, some obvious fans out there, and then there's people who are there just, you know, for whatever. Oh, this is neat. It's an old movie. You know. I wish they actually done stuff like this at movies. You know, like... Yeah. 
like big experience. Like things. marathons, like a phantasm marathon where you can go watch all five or whatever. If you're close enough to a cool theater, yeah, you know, like, li- like the New Beverly in L.A. or something. Yeah. Like if you live that. somewhere that's not Kentucky, like we do, <laughs> dude. dude. Back back in the '90s, uh, the Kentucky theater was like that. I know that they run some during like the Halloween season. You can yeah, see Halloween do. and stuff. They still do, but uh, back then it was actually on film. Yeah, and every weekend. Uh, both Friday and Saturday, there was a different movie at midnight, and it was always oh, like dude. horror or cult stuff from John Waters to yeah. Friday the 13th. Uh, it was so awesome. It was a great I time. I miss midnight releases and midnight movies, man. Yeah. For sure, yeah. <sighs> yeah, so the movie starts, and Max is obviously emotional seeing her mom on the screen, as one would be. Mm-hmm. Yeah. She starts to get kind of overwhelmed, I think. Yeah. yeah. And we get some backstory in the movie for the character of Billy. And it's classic slasher film stuff mm-hmm. because he, they they play a prank on him, and uh, pretty nasty yeah, one. They they, they bully like, him into an outhouse and then throw firecrackers. Throw in firecrackers there. in, yeah. yeah. It's like in 1957, and he runs out and he's all. Oh. Uh, but it reminded me of uh, a mixture between like maybe Friday the 13th and The Burning. Burning. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, oh yeah, classic. Which is funny because The Burning really it could be a Friday the 13th film if oh, you just yeah. Yeah. linked it up. Um, and there are some assholes in the theater, and they're like drinking and smoking and shit like that. <laughs> and a fire breaks out. Well, at least they weren't bringing little kids in there to watch it. Dude. Man. <laughs> yeah. Post- we, we went to go see Evil Dead Rise. There's like people bringing in, what was she, five, six, yeah. maybe? Yeah, oh. she was way too young. Okay, not just that. When, when Chris and I went to see Pope's Exorcist, they brought a little girl in there, and that had like a kid being demonically possessed, like cursing at his mother and like grabbing her breasts and yeah, stuff. Yeah, uh, what and the hell? What, what is with these it's parents? Where we live, dude. <laughs> I mean, I'm not a parent. I think I would be kind of permissive if I were, but not that permissive. Yeah. That's a little much. Now, with, with Pope's Exorcist, I worried like how many people there were like, this is like a documentary, basically. And we're like, yeah. we're, we're teaching our kids about <laughs> the spiritual warfare that's going on. But I mean, even if you're giving them like an iPad and earphones, which you shouldn't at no. the movies. Well, <laughs> they're still gonna look up at the screen and see the shit going on yeah. you know it's like don't do that keep your kids at home get a babysitter or wait two weeks for it to come out on streaming because the window is much more narrow these days mm-hmm. and they can't talk the whole time oh, yeah yeah, yeah. There, there was a couple of kids in there. <laughs> yeah. and man the gore is gnarly in that too so I was like Ooh. and it's all about a family it's about a mother killing yeah. her children is that really <laughs> the one you want to take your kids to this is what happens if you're bad yeah <laughs> you're just gonna give them ideas yeah <laughs> Uh, okay, yeah, so yeah. the fire breaks out. We man. get a we get a weird like Rube Goldberg kind of thing where it's like a dude flicks his cigarette and some ashes drop, and then we see the guy drop the bottle of liquor and, and it, it rolls. rolls. Yeah. yeah, 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 and catches the curtains on fire, and they're kind of freaking out. Everybody's trying to get somewhere, and. <laughs> So apparently a fan dressed as Billy brought a real machete to this theater because <laughs> Max grabs it from him and then starts hacking through the, the canvas of the screen. Right. Well, they asked uh, Duncan, is there another way out? And he says there's like a, you can go behind the screen and get out backstage that way. Right. Makes so then, sense. So then we get kind of a uh, Purple Rose of Cairo moment. Kind of reminded me of Last Action Hero. Yeah. That golden ticket he had. Yeah, Yeah, and I'm forcing you to put a Woody Allen movie into the... (laughs) Okay. um, Gosh, should I admit this right now? I will admit this right now. I kind of like a lot of Woody Allen films. It's fine. I think it's fine. You You can divorce the art from the artist. (laughs) It's okay. Um, Canceled. (laughs) (laughs) See ya. (laughs) Well, well, Chris, you're our first and last guest. Thanks for coming. Uh, (laughs) 
So they're cutting through the screen, they're running through it, trying to find the exit, and they find themselves in the middle of a forest in the middle of the day. Mm-hmm. Most strange. And everything's very, very technicolor, yeah. suddenly. Very surreal, heavenly. Yeah. And uh, yeah, they're all kind of standing around going, what, huh? Did the theater burn down? What's going on? <laughs> but then we see a VW uh, bus coming down the road, which is what we saw in the beginning of the movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And they're blasting Mickey. Yep. <laughs> yep, <for> sure. <laughs> yeah. And they stop and they ask for directions to the camp. And it, it is the cast of the film. Yeah, and everybody, all of our characters know this, and they're just sitting there kind of dumbstruck. Mm-hmm. So then the guy, the cast of the movie, the cast of characters just are like, okay, and they drive on. <laughs> and I don't like this part because we get a title card, a card that says 92 minutes later. Yeah. And they're just, our, our heroes are sitting around on a log, and then the van comes back again. This is, a, this is a good bit. Yeah. Had me rolling a good bit when it first happened. Yeah. Especially just the like, if you think about what they're in and their situation, that like, they don't know where to go, they don't know what to do, but then every like roughly 90 minutes, this van comes rolling mm-hmm. up, mm-hmm. blasting Mickey as loud as it can, and then they stop and repeat the same lines to them again and again. And Duncan, the horror nerd, is already clued in on what's yeah. going on. He, like, he sets his watch, you know, timer, and then again, another 92 minutes come by, same thing happens. See, horror fans are in the know. He yeah. knew before everybody else did. That's right, yeah. yeah. And that's the whole thing of the Randy character. That's like you have that knowledge. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. you, you uh, apply that to your situation. So when the van stops again, they ask for a ride to Camp Bluefinch. That's what it's called, Camp Bluefinch. Mm-hmm. And so the kids pick him up. And in the, in, the, in the van are Kurt, played by Adam Devine, I guess you pronounce his last name as. Yes. And he's your typical horny jock type. Oh, yeah. That's and, an understatement. <laughs> yeah. And then we get Tina, who's a typical ditzy hot blonde. And I'll just say right now, the MVP of the movie. Yeah. Oh, yes. She was also in Halloween 2, or H2, Rob Zombie. And, like, that was one of my favorite parts of that movie. Yeah. Was her. Yeah. Oh, what's she? Hmm? Yeah. yeah. Angela Trimber. Okay. Um, who else? Okay. So then they're talking to them. Cause they, they, say they say that they're counselors. There's one more, isn't it? It's... Um... Well, I think that's the only people that they see at the beginning, oh, okay. but then Nancy yeah, comes yeah. up from the yeah. back. Yeah, she's asleep in the back. Yeah. And then and so Max is seeing her mother in the movie as the character of Nancy. Yeah. Which has to be awkward. Yeah. And then there's that cool scene where they drive through the opening title. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I like that too, because it made me wonder, like, do they see that or... That's good. I wonder... I think they do. <laughs> I got the impression they did. The characters in the movie don't, right. but our yeah. heroes do. Um, so they're talking about like, they're finally realizing what's going on. They were in the movie. They accept that pretty quickly. Right. And they're talking about, you know, how do they get home? And Duncan says, it's 1986. We don't have any homes yet. <laughs> it leads to a lot of other questions too, because I was like, what are the boundaries of this? If they just started walking in one direction, like how far can they go? Which um, they do address later. Yeah. yeah. It's like a loop, mm-hmm. an infinite loop. Yeah. Just killer. Uh, well, but, but movies yeah. want big Mobius strip. <laughs> but yeah, Duncan comes up with kind of the obvious plan, which is, well, we just have to follow the film to its conclusion. So uh, we just let it play out and kind of stick to the final girl. And when the killer dies, the movie should end. And theoretically, we can leave. Right. Which is as good a guess as any, I guess, in, in that situation. Indeed. 
pretty solid plan. And so the first kill of the film, which is such a great throwback to Camp Slashers, is you've got uh, one of the characters that was already at the summer camp. She goes out into the woods, and she runs into a hiker that's mm-hmm, passing mm-hmm. through. It made me think of... Uh, it's one of the Friday the 13th where there's just like a dude who's just out there hunting for Jason for no reason. Is that oh, part yeah. four? Part four. Yeah. Final part four. Yeah. Not for no reason. He's well, like, he tried to avenge his sister's death. It's weird to which just... Which was apparently two days before. Mm-hmm. It's weird to just rock up there <laughs> like that. That guy had the funniest death in the Friday the 13th franchise. He's still killing me. He's killing me. <laughs> oh my God, he's killing me. <laughs> See, I think that's actually effective, but that's me. I love it. Um... But yeah, they, they kind of like flirt a little bit. They're into each other. Yeah, uh, They start to hook up, and then that's when Billy rocks up to kill them. Yep. And uh, Duncan's just too curious to see it happen firsthand, so they kind of linger to watch this play out. Mm-hmm. Which is amazing. Which because, would be cool to do. I yeah. Mean, if you oh, could, uh, <laughs> like, think about virtual reality and stuff. If you could like be in the movie. Yeah, what it. kill would you want to watch? <laughs> Sleeping bag <laughs> kill, of course. Oh, dude. Un- uncut. Oh, and they also, <laughs> they also apparently hear the the apparently it's non diegetic music. Yeah, for like Billy's theme, which like, is very Friday the Thirteenth. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. And they hear that and they're like, "What? What? What was that?" Yeah. <laughs> um, but they linger a little too long because Billy notices them. And this is where Duncan doles out his next theory, which is that they're safe because he won't know what to do with them because they're not part of the story. Right. Yeah. 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 But wrong. <laughs> Very wrong. And then there, he, he's, he's positing that perhaps this is all like special effects and stuff. And he's like, I bet this isn't even real blood. Yeah. And he goes like, <laughs> take off some of the blood of the girl and taste it. He's like, oh no, it's real. <laughs> but I love this because he gets into like a stare down with Billy where he just like tromps over to him and is like towering above him. And you think like, oh, any moment he's just going to lay into him and kill him. But instead, Billy just kind of turns and just walks back off into the woods. Yeah. And Duncan's like, hey, see, I told you. <laughs> but then whoosh, Machete comes Whack. flying out of nowhere into his side. <laughs> and I like how they just all scream and run off, too. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and this is where they're running, and they just come right back to where they were. So mm-hmm. they established that yeah. there's no way out of this. Right. They have to play it out. Yeah. So then the next time we see them, they're, they're stuck in the middle of a horrible sing-along in the cabin. <laughs> Singing like Christian tunes on the guitar and stuff. And Duncan had said that Paula is the final girl. Mm-hmm. Which she arrives late to the camp as part of the plot. Yeah. Yeah, we meet her pretty quickly. She's... Played by Chloe Bridges. Yeah. And... She's a total badass. Yeah, she, she is. Yeah, she's like the cool and tough one. Mm-hmm. Leather jacket. Yeah. Cool car. Awesome. Like, big hair. Yeah. Mm-hmm. She really did a good job. She looked like the 80s. Yeah. But she doesn't strike me as an 80s final girl, though. No, it's more of like a 90s vibe to yeah. her. But Yeah. Yeah, I think she is what the final girl sometimes turns into. Yeah. Because she gets tough at the end. You know? Yeah. It made me think like of... maybe um, Alice. Yeah, Alice was who Elm I was Street thinking Street of. 4, yeah. yeah. When she, like, subsumes everyone's powers. Yeah, and she knows martial arts and yeah. all that. Yeah. And, yeah. I know Kung Fu. <laughs> Uh, let's see okay, so, th- so then they decide okay we're going to try to make everyone every character in this movie be good and survive right you know, not to have sex not yeah. to drink or anything like that so then that should increase their chances they yeah. think right well let's subvert the, the, the trope of this film mm-hmm. and 
and, uh, and so, <laughs> so they kind of make assignments where it's like you follow this character, you follow that character. Let's yeah. all split like up. They don't have sex, yeah. <laughs> right. And uh, Angela Trimber plays Tina. Yeah, they yep. tie her up with like mittens. Yeah. <laughs> well, there's that there's a great scene where she thinks that a smartphone is a cassette. Yeah. Right? yeah. <laughs> She's like, where are the holes? <laughs> She, like, puts the whole phone in her mouth at one point. And uh, Gertie gets paired up with Blake, which is one of the characters that's already at the camp, played by uh, Tori N. Thompson. He has a great vibe where he's got these, like, buttons yeah. all over his suspenders. Oh, right, yes. Total, totally a, like, Friday the 13th style character. He has a lot of flair. Yeah. Um, And they kind of kind of bond a little bit yeah. while they're hanging yeah. out. Starting to, starting to hit it off. Uh, let's see. At one point, Max goes into the cabin and she hears Billy's theme and yeah. knows Nancy's about to get down because Nancy told her earlier that Kurt wanted to have sex with her. Yeah. And she, she was it. still a virgin. Mm-hmm. And it's the first gonna, time. Yeah. And that's what her character does in the movie, which is why she dies. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Which we've seen that scene, like where he comes into the, the bedroom. Yes. It played out while they were watching and then. Right. So Max runs up there, stop her. And, of course, Kurt shows up thinking he's going to have a threesome now. Yeah. So there's, two, there's two chicks in the room. Which only summons him faster. <laughs> um, and Gertie's downstairs, and she sees Billy outside of the window. Mm-hmm. And says they have to tell him about Billy. And then Nancy starts recounting the tale in the classic slasher fashion. Mm. Dude, and I love this part. There's a really cool scene. Yeah, it's like... It's like the movie starts kind of like dripping, like mm-hmm. there's like this viscous uh, fluid coming down, and suddenly we're in a black and white flashback, and it's it's the tale of Billy, <laughs> and they're all standing there in black and white, and they can hear the voiceover of Nancy, and there's like this superimposition of the summer of 1957 in front of them that they can clearly see. <laughs> I think one of them steps over yeah. at one point. Yeah, uh, they do. And yeah, then we see Billy getting burned by the fireworks, and he's obsessed with getting revenge. He's carving his masks to plan his revenge. Uh, that made to- me think of the Rob Zombie Halloween. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a cool little, cool little element. And uh, <clears throat> we were told that he kills eight counselors and still waits in the woods to kill any counselors who come around. And so then that's we flash back to reality and everyone kind of starts flipping out. Yeah, because there was a scene in the movie where someone gets killed and some blood splashes on Gertie. Mm-hmm. And when she comes back to she's the present day, yeah, she's, covered <laughs> yeah, she's covered in blood and they all freak out and start running around. And uh, in a panic, Kurt and Paula hop in her cool ride and they're just mm-hmm. going to drive out of the camp. <laughs> yep. And that's when we learned that Duncan is still alive. Yeah, he comes stumbling out of the woods, holding his side. Which I love, because when you think about that scene, like it just kind of nicked him in the side. It's not like... Yeah, it may not have been a killing yeah. blow. Sure. Uh, but they hit him, immediately kill him again. <laughs> He's dead this time. <laughs> and then that makes the car veer and crash into a totem pole, killing all of them. Yep. Kurt goes flying out, hits the <laughs> dirt, and his legs break and everything. And, uh, yeah, the car explodes, and Paul is still inside Which it. Which the outtakes later on when it shows that scene. What yes. was saying yeah. was so funny, yeah. I wish those had been Go in the movie. Go to the have a little sex. <laughs> <laughs> the police are going to get us. Let's fuck first. Yeah. Uh, 
he is like a laugh right in this film. I hate that he dies this early just because yeah. like he's so funny. I was really unfamiliar with him. I guess he's you know well known actor and mm-hmm. stuff, but I thought he was hilarious in this movie. Yeah, mm-hmm. he was great. So all the movie characters are starting to realize that they are movie characters. Mm-hmm. Which that's a whole existential crisis to yeah. go through. <laughs> yeah. So and that's when they tape up uh, Tina with yeah. an oven mitts and a life jacket. Because they say, you're scripted to do a strip tease at the slumber party. Yeah. And that's when Billy shows up and kills you. <laughs> and you can see it because she's kind of wanting to. Because he's like mm. reaching up to her shirt and wanting to undo <laughs> yeah. it and stuff. <laughs> um, but so they have to construct a new plan now because their final girl is dead. Yep. They need a new final girl. Who are they going to get? Who could be the new final girl? Uh, they say they need a virgin. And Max is the only one, apparently. Yeah. And they said they have to get Billy's machete, like Duncan said, so Max can kill him. And that kind of goes back to what you were saying about the, the book. Right. Yeah. The whole emasculation thing. Right. They, they take a phallic-like weapon and then use that she, to slay the killer. She appropriates the killer's penis. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes. <laughs> Makes me think of the uh, it was a Slumber Party Massacre. Yeah. Those, yeah. those covers with the big drill, mm-hmm. highly yeah. phallic, mm-hmm. and yeah. leaving nothing to the imagination. Nothing subtle about that <laughs> at all. Great. Those are great movies. I love the second one, especially. <laughs> um, Nancy says that she can do it because she's still a virgin. Mm-hmm. Um, and Vicky says something about how she can't help because she's not real. Yeah. Not a real person. Yeah. And I, at this point, the movie struck me as saying something about um, women not having their own agency. Oh, yeah. Like they're just scripted to die and they don't have any yeah. choice. Yeah. Huh. Mm-hmm. I can see that. I don't think it really follows through on that, mm-hmm. but uh, that was a thought that it, it perked in my head anyway, and I wish it kind of tugged to that string a little bit more. But then again, that could just be me. <laughs> but uh, at the same time, Max is kind of formulating her own plan because if everything Duncan has said is true, when they finish the movie, they can go back to the real world. And so if Nancy survives, theoretically, she could go back too. Mm-hmm. And she could have her mom again. Yeah. Weirdly. Yeah. Weird, in a weird way that's yeah. her mom, but not her mom. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's so we, when they put the plan uh, Operation Booby Trap yeah. into motion. Very Home alone Yes. <laughs> yeah, we get a great yeah. montage yeah. of them getting ready. Which reminded me of Nancy in Elm Street. Yeah. yeah. She's have The big finale. <laughs> that apparently took 10 minutes. But she, does, <laughs> she does all these activities that would take me at least three hours, but it's just been 10 minutes. That's why she's the final girl, and right. we're in a basement talking about <laughs> horror films. Hey, it's a cool basement, though. <laughs> thank cool you, basement. thank you, thank you. Yes. We're not as cool as Heather Langenkamp. This is true. <laughs> yeah, we had to delay recording so Chris could be in awe of the, the basement. And in awe I was, man. <laughs> oh, Perfect sure. recording space. Thank you so much. <laughs> Here at John Exposure Headquarters, <laughs> uh, and we get a little bit of character development during this whole setup for the final confrontation. Um, Gertie and Blake kind of start having a thing for one another. Mm-hmm. You can tell there's a little bit of romantic tension between them. Mm-hmm. And the scene I really liked a lot was that um, Vicky talks to Max, and they kind of sort out the weird like drama they've been having against one another. And right. Uh, Vicky kind of actually apologizes for the way she's treated her and kind of bullied her a little bit. Yeah. And we get this little bit of a backstory drop that they used to be best friends. But then when Max's mother died, she kind of became this like recluse and really pulled away from everyone. And then the next friend she made was Gertie and she kind of clung to her. Yeah. And Vicky just, you know, tells her like, Hey, I kind of got jealous of your all's friendship. 
And I wondered, like, why you just left me behind. Yeah. Which is which is weird, because, like, their friendship is very believable. Sometimes yeah. those movies, you don't, like, buy into their friendship. But it right, had a very, right. like, believable friendship. All three of them, I thought. Yeah, it felt natural. And then it's cool, because yeah. they all hug it out there in that moment. Yeah, I agree. And we've all been there, especially yeah. when you're a teenager. Oh, you know, yeah, you just drift sure. apart from people. Yeah. Um, and, and Vicky says that she's the mean girl in the 80s horror movie, so she's going to die next. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, and this is when Tina gets into Vicky's Adderall. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah they, she mentions that early, like, uh, before they go in the movie. Uh, I think it's when they're at the theater, she mentions having an Adderall. And then Tina gets a hold of it. <laughs> she's, like, gnashing <laughs> her teeth. and She's fucking hyped. So they're all getting ready to uh, execute this plan of theirs. <laughs> so then we hear some classic 80s. Actually, I think it was early 90s. But anyway, uh, they use Warren's Cherry Pie yeah. oh, so good. as the song. So then they let Tina do her thing. She gives the uh, the strip tease to end all strip tease. Yeah, it's pretty great. <laughs> it's pretty great. And as soon as she opens up her shirt, we see Billy standing outside. Yeah, I love the way they frame that shot, too. That it's yeah. like, you think you're going to see it, and then it cuts to yeah. him. Yeah, which is disappointing. I got to... Well, it is. We should say this is a PG thirteen movie, actually, and, and that's what I'm going to level one of my complaints. I think it should have been an R. Yeah, I agree. I think that to fully <laughs> uh, talk about slasher films and parody them or whatever, you you have to go there. Yeah, now, we need a little bit of nudity. We we need a little bit more violence. I guess I'll throw this in now because another another note I have. Um, originally, it was planned to be an R rated film, mm. and the studio kind of talked them down into PG thirteen. And their their big argument was that. Um, that would give them more time to focus on the emotion and the relationship that's kind of at the core of this movie, mm-hmm. which I think is good and is done well. But I also think like that doesn't exclude having yeah. the R-rated, the gore, the kills, it, the it, nudity. It's not an either-or situation. Yeah. Yeah. You can't have both. <laughs> yeah, but it is what it is. Sure. I mean, it's still a, it's still a very enjoyable movie. It's one of the better PG-13 horror As yeah. I am, a, I do not like PG-13 horror. Yeah, I'm with it's one there. of the better ones. Yeah, it really depends. It depends. This one gets it right, I think. Yeah. yeah. Um, so Tina sees him and freaks out. <laughs> but she trips <laughs> over one of their own traps, killing herself. It's like a bear trap yeah. that she falls into. Pretty gnarly. That's pretty funny. Uh, they unload a, uh, <laughs> a log into Billy's chest like a bunch of Ewoks. Yeah. <laughs> and that kind of pins him to the door. Well, there's like uh, deer antlers, right? On yeah. The door. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. Which, again, reminds me of... Um, Help me out here. Linnea Quigley and Pell on the Antlers. Oh, uh, None uh, of the Demons. No. Uh, the Christmas movie. Saw Night Daily Night. Yes, thank yeah, you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Made me think of that. I also immediately think of Night of the Demons when yeah. I think of Linnea Quigley. My mind goes straight to Return of the Living Dead. <laughs> if I hear Linnea yeah. Quigley. She's been in so many classics. Uh, so he's kind of stuck on the door. And um, Blake goes to get the machete. But Billy stabs him. And then they start firing, start firing flaming arrows. They're like marshmallows yeah, yeah. on the end of arrows, set of flame at Billy. And there's actually kind of an effective scene where Gertie and Vicky are trapped under a bookcase. Yeah, and he starts stabbing through yeah. it. Well, they have this whole plan where they're supposed to lure him upstairs into that room while everyone goes out the window, and then they were going to drop the bookcase on him. But the, and douse him with gasoline. Gets, yeah, yeah. Stuck on the carry style. Yeah, and yeah. it gets stuck. Yeah. So and, and like he's stabbing Gertie and, and 
uh, Shawkat does some really good screaming here, I thought. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Like, yeah. She, she sells the fact that she's getting stabbed, and you feel, like, sorry for her. Yeah. Which you normally don't in slasher films. And Max kind of hesitates, because she doesn't know what to do, because this is way off script now. Mm-hmm. And they literally tell her, like, go. You, you can't save us. You just have to go and finish the film. Yeah. So they're out the window, and Vicky's pulling on that rope more. She's still trapped. And the gasoline rings down on Billy, and the room pretty much explodes. Yeah. And then like a fucking awesome killer, he explodes out the window, window. on flames and just lands and is ready. Let's go. Yeah. And then uh, they all realize they're also in slow motion. Yeah. Because yeah. <laughs> they're talking <laughs> like this. But yeah, that is a cool scene where he jumps out of the window in slow motion. That to me is like the uh, the Jason just stepping through the door moment. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and we get some pretty cool um, 80s inspired synth music here too. I thought. Oh, yeah. Oh, that's yes. stuck out to me. Yeah. Overall, like the score in this film, it's pretty subtle, but like it's really good when you notice mm-hmm. it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so they're, they're pretty much trapped by Billy and they tell Nancy to start telling the story of Billy again so they can go back into the flashback yeah. before they're killed. It'll buy them time. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. But Billy gets taken in on the flashback as well. <laughs> and they're back in the 50s again, and then that sweet car pulls up and hits Billy. <laughs> and they grab his machete. Um, so then they're watching the scene where Billy's leaving the outhouse, and they're kind of following him to part of the camp that Nancy's never seen before. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, there's a weird building, and Nancy says she doesn't know what this is, and she never really comes to this part of the camp. Yeah. Could it possibly be his yeah. Jason shed? Again, you get those Friday the 13th vibes. Mm-hmm. Um, but in that chaos there, Max gets stabbed, right? I'm pretty sure. Let's see. Because then Max gets stabbed and then they kind of pull back. And yeah. yeah, they yeah. they tell the flashback story again. And they leave the flashback. And Chris gets wounded. Mm-hmm. And uh, Nancy is carried off by Billy. Oh yeah, she has to go like get Nancy back. Yeah. Least, yeah. So so Max is helping Chris find refuge in this like really luridly lit Argento like ruined church. Yeah. yeah. It's really leaning in. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Pumpkinhead. Yeah. All those shafts of yeah. light coming yeah. out of nowhere. That's a great comparison. Yeah. And it makes you wonder like why is this so close to a camp? It's very weird. Gotta love Pumpkinhead. Me too. Oh, fuck, yes. <laughs> uh. Yeah, it looks like an Argento movie all of a sudden, too, with all the lights, all the colors. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so then Max, she's going into that building from the flashback to find Nancy because mm-hmm. she figured out that's his hideout, Billy's hideout. And all the bodies are there, too. Another classic yeah. uh, uh, slasher trope. Yeah, she, she gets like, she runs into like every single one back to back in quick mm-hmm. succession. I wonder if that's what they collect. You know, like we collect Blu-rays. Maybe the slashers collect bodies. They just collect bodies, <laughs> yeah. you know, gather them around. Well, this sure. one's got a slipcover. <laughs> <laughs> this one's near mint. Uh, so they start fighting, and uh, that's when Billy stabs Max yeah, yeah, yeah. with a knife. Because they kind of play with the formula now, because now you think that she's injured, it's going to fall to Nancy. Mm-hmm. But uh, together they both manage to escape, and they retreat back to the chapel yep. to link back up with Chris. Yep. And this is where Max finally has a heart-to-heart with Nancy and reveals that, like, you are the character yeah. that my mother played in real life. Which had a lot of heart. Oh, man. Yeah. Yeah. Dude, for a horror movie, like, I was like, am I getting ready to cry? <laughs> yeah, I agree. It's very touching. Yeah. Yeah, I was, I was getting a little misty-eyed. And Tiffany's when the like, music hits, I was like, don't look at me. Tiffany's like, what are you doing? I was like, uh, it's just allergies, yeah. you know? <laughs> it's that season. <laughs> I'm not crying. You are. <laughs> 
No, but it does have a lot of heart, and it's really executed well. Yeah. And, mm-hmm. um, I give a lot of props to Malin Ackerman, too, as Nancy, like... She's good. I've not seen her in a ton of stuff. I mostly know her for the Adult Swim show Children's Hospital, where <laughs> oh, yeah. she's fucking hilarious. But, <laughs> That's right. Uh, she really does good on the emotion in this film. Yeah. I yeah. loved her in Couples Retreat, where oh. she was Vince Vaughn's wife. I think I saw that. Yeah, I saw the. I know the trailer right now that you bring that up. Yeah. Yeah, and Nancy's like, she says that she has to let her go so she can save her. Mm -hmm. And uh, Nancy goes out, and we hear Betty Davis' eyes playing, like from before. And she starts to strip to summon Billy. (laughs) (laughs) And. uh, Would she? I don't know. Is it kind of weird that she's watching her mom strip? I mean. I mean, I know girls are yeah. different about that sort of thing. You know, yeah. it's not a big deal for them to be naked. It was a plus for me. <laughs> yeah, I mean, hey, yeah. I'm not complaining. <laughs> it would be weird, I guess, but that, that whole situation is so weird. At that yeah. point, yeah. yeah. You're True. in a movie, you're with your dead mom, but, but not, not really. really. Yeah. 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 Um, oh, you know, we kind of glossed over it, but I do want to back up. No. Yeah. Be- before they die, I think it's before he dies, um, Blake and Gertie do share a kiss. That's right. She, there's that part where she's just like, ah, oh, screw it. Yeah, just, yeah. Max went on him, yeah. Fun little coda to their yeah, true their thing. Uh, so Billy shows up, mm-hmm. um, and I like that scene because uh, Nancy is looking at Max, yeah, and Max is looking at Nancy, but Nancy's back is to Billy, yeah. So she doesn't, she knows Nancy knows that Billy's there, yeah, but you know she doesn't see the stab coming. But then the second it happens, that's yeah. when that switch flips. Yeah. Yep. 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 Um, she like Max not only just like picks up the machete, but she like kind of flourishes it. Oh yeah, like yeah, she knows what she she's, knows. What she's, she's badass doing. action yeah. girl now. Yeah, and uh, she has a fight with Billy and chops his head off. Uh, what I like about it too is it's not like she doesn't just run up and like kill him. Yeah, there's back and forth. There's a little bit of a fight. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's, it's, right. She does that cool like slide where she. Yeah, uh, yeah. I love that part. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but she does manage to best him. And then there's that great scene where they see the credits rolling up on the horizon. Mm-hmm. I like that a lot. Because, uh, yeah, Chris limps out and they're watching the credits roll. They, they share a kiss, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Yep. And Max wakes up in the hospital. And she finds that all of her friends are alive and recovering. Even Duncan. Yep. He shows a gnarly wound <laughs> that's been stitched up. And this is another one of those things where they kind of like switched gears because the original idea is it was just going to be her and Chris in the hospital and that's it. Oh yeah. And I guess when they tested that idea, they thought it was a little too bleak compared to the rest of the film. Hmm. So then they pivoted to this one where everybody's okay. But then there's that extra twist that we're about to talk about. Yes. <laughs> and you, you see that Max is still wearing the friendship bracelet that Nancy gave her too. Yeah. But then they hear Billy's theme. Playing yeah. again. They're like, hospital. Oh, oh, shit. <laughs> Another iconic slasher yeah. film. And they look outside, and they're like, all their heads are poking out like Three Stooges or something. And they're looking out into the hallway, and they're seeing like a doctor floating with a nurse outside. Um, Major, um, which Friday the 13th is it? No, it's Halloween, isn't it? Halloween 2. Halloween 2. Halloween 2. In the yeah. hospital? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, Duncan gets worried because we see a can of Tab, uh, Rubik's <laughs> Cube, <laughs> and a Gizmo doll. <laughs> And I realize that we're still in the 80s. Yeah. And then we see Billy breaking through the glass doors. And the title card comes up, Camp Bloodbath 2, Cruel Summer. And uh, Duncan says that the sequel is always so much cooler than the original. It was a double feature that they went to. Yep. 
And then it ends. Sadly. <laughs> what a sequel hook. But and I, I see it now. Now that you mentioned the whole test screening thing, because I, I do like this ending, especially yeah. if we get a sequel. Because mm-hmm. we were supposed to. Like it's been yeah. in works for. Yeah, I don't think it's ever going to happen. Yeah, it's been either. way too long. Which sucks, man. It would be a yeah. good sequel. Um, but also the fact that no one really dies kind of removes the element of danger. A little bit, yeah. And then you're like, well, what about the sequel? If no one really dies, yeah. then where's the danger? Agreed. So it's kind of a... It, it probably actually works best there isn't a sequel. Yeah. Because mm-hmm. then we don't have to address that. <laughs> um, but I just want it forever. Uh, Chris, you mentioned those outtakes that are in the credits, which yeah. are fucking hilarious. But there's one shot where it's... Um, it's the Kurt character, and he's in the hospital in a wheelchair flirting with one of the nurses. <laughs> and apparently that was an actual thing they were going to do for this sequel that's never materialized, where in the like lore of these Camp Bloodbath oh, films, okay. supposedly when they shot the first one, they loved his performance so much that they cast him again in the second one and kind of came up with an excuse for why he didn't die. He didn't really, he's yeah. broke, he just broke yeah. his legs. He yeah. didn't really die. Yeah. <laughs> so if there was that sequel, he would be in it still. That's fun. Which is hilarious. That'd be pretty good. Uh, let's see. What notes do I have about this film? Um, what? You have notes. I do have some notes. Holy I shit. I have some notes. <laughs> um, A lot of first times on this episode. <laughs> I sometimes have notes. Uh, but the script was bought by New Line Cinema in 2011. Uh, but obviously, they did, they did not produce it. But, I mean, New Line Cinema, obviously, the house that Freddie built, built, you know. Hell yeah. So, it's a, the perfect place for a slasher film to be made. It's a sh- maybe, maybe it's a good thing they didn't do it. I don't know. I mean, at that time, New Line was kind of like, mm. <laughs> um, but the screenplay that was bought by them was written by Joshua John Miller mm. and M.A. Fortin. And Miller is the son of Jason Miller, who was Father Karras in The Exorcist. Mm. Here we go. It's all coming together. <laughs> <laughs> and I'd read the, I guess he said this in an interview or something, but he actually came up with this idea while dealing with the death of his dad. Yeah. He was kind of struggling with that idea and stuff. And I guess the thought of like that he could go and watch one of these movies that he was in and how surreal that is. Yeah. Which I think they conveyed very good in this movie. Yeah. Yeah, he said that there's something haunting, strange, confusing, and a little bit unnatural to see your parent constantly die in a film. It's uh, wild. Yeah. Uh, what else you got, Jason? I got the fact that it was made, it cost about $4.5 million, but only made about a million and a half. Wow. Uh. And it never really got a theatrical release. It played like festivals and stuff. Yeah, I think that's part of the problem. If, yeah. they, if they had put it out, I think it would have done well. Especially, oh, yeah. it would have made ten million at yeah. least. If you're putting PG thirteen on it, that expands the range. That's usually why they force. PG-13. That's why it's yeah. right. Exactly. Yeah. It makes no sense if it's not theatrically released. So I don't know why it was never. It was released. a really weird like Blu-ray release as well. The only reason I found it was because I went and bought um, I think Pumpkinhead on Blu-ray. Nice. And Hastings had like a, a, a coming soon like mm. little thing, and there it was. But there was no like big like hoopla for when it right. was released, you know, physically either. Yeah, I think I read a review of it somewhere, maybe Room Org or something back in the day yeah. that turned me on. And, I think it. the first time I ever knew about it was just like on Shutter or whatever platform it streamed on first. I saw it kind of scrolling through, yeah. and I was like, "Oh, this seems neat." Watch list, and then I never watched it till now. Yeah, it's like all my <laughs> all my friends we watched it together, and they all liked it. But it, I've never really heard that many people talk about this movie. Yeah, I don't think it really got its due. No, it was it did well with like the the Blu-ray collectors. I remember whenever it came out, you know, everybody picked it up, and mm-hmm. it was just one of those weird things where it was just like you when you watch like it's great, but there was no like, 
you know, theatrical release, like yeah. you said, for yeah. which really hurt it. Mm-hmm. And it was a cheap Blu-ray too. For that man, it was like ten bucks when it came out. Oh wow, that's sad. Yeah. This deserved like a lot more fanfare, yeah. I think. Mm-hmm. Especially at a time like 2015, like what was going on for slashers at that time? You had, you had Muck coming out <laughs> yeah. for a while. Well, I, th- I think there was still that kind of slasher renaissance going on. Yeah, but I mean, like Friday the 13th was dead at that time. Mm-hmm. Halloween was dead at that time. Nightmare on Elm Street still dead right now. Yeah. Where is that? I'm, I'm okay with that. If, if that last movie is any indication of what we're going to get, I'm fine with it being dead. <laughs> I would just like a, a, a nice physical box set, New Line Cinema, of the Nightmare on Elm Street, please. Nice 4K set. Yeah, yeah. even if it's Blu-ray. Just something. Yeah, something. Because DVD set's the best one that well, they've... Uh, well, I like the old VHS where he's got his arms out, but the... DVD set was the best one they've had out for it. Yeah, and like the Friday Thirteenth Blu-ray. Yeah, that's what we need for. Yes, Friday, Yeah, Street. for sure. Yeah. So, what do you guys think about this movie? What's your thoughts? I, I guess a, we I should a, go first before Chris, since you brought it. I have a few more. Notes. Or should he go first because we know that? Oh, you have notes. Yes. Um, I wanted to focus on some of the improvised things because there's so many, and it's crazy how like much of this film is like made better from what they did. Ah. Um. So Tina's dance sequence. All of that was improvised. They just put on the music and let her go. Oh, she's so good in this movie. And she said that she slammed several energy drinks to get into character and into the mode of doing this dance for that moment. Um, once she takes the Ritalin and she goes all like hyper-focused mm-hmm. crazy, her like looking around at the bug that was flying around the room, <laughs> yeah. she ad-libbed that, and then they put the sound effect in Oh, nice! <laughs> to make it work. She's great. She, she, yeah. she is the MVP. She steals the movie. Um, there are some ideas that they kind of cast aside from the script. So in the original script, the characters from the real world, they actually started going through transformations once they entered the movie. It was going to be things like the girls kind of got more curvier and shapelier. Their boobs got bigger. <laughs> That's pretty good. Um, and they, there was a subplot where Gertie was kind of enamored with this because she is sort of kind of like more of the meek girl yeah, of the group. Yeah. Um, and there was going to be a subplot where she kind of tried to sabotage their efforts so she could <laughs> keep being hot. I like that. Um, which I'm glad they took out because that's a weird turn for her character. It's weird, but it's funny. Yeah. <laughs> I also think like it would have called for a much bigger budget to pull off. Yeah, it also sounds more like maybe something if it was like a, a limited series or something. Like a TV <laughs> show could get away with that. Um, oh, this is a really funny one. So the script said that when the cast enters the film of Camp Bloodbath, they step into a Technicolor world. And so when they showed up on location to do the shoot the writers were horrified because what the crew had done was read that and took it literally. And they went through the entire area and put all these artificial bright colored flowers everywhere. Right. Which we do see. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, and they were like, Oh, this is a little too much. A little too wizard of Ozzy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And they kind of made them peel that back a bit. Oh. Um, the camp that they shot at didn't have a cabin large enough for all the stuff they wanted to do. A lot of those big stunts with the booby trap scene, mm. They had this camera crane they wanted to use, and they couldn't actually get it like in there to film it. Oh. So instead, they had to erect it from scratch. They should have just made a human pyramid. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we can't all be one cut of the dead. Oh, but, no. Um, so but when they finished, there wasn't money to tear it back down once they built it. So they actually, during construction, made it structurally sound enough that when they were finished, they just were like, here, camp, you have a new cabin. Oh, nice. That, that's cool of them. Yeah. Um, let's see. Um, a lot of call outs again, like with the names, we hit most of those along the way. Um, 
The song that the counselors are singing after the first murder is Michael, Row Your Boat Ashore. And that's the same song from the pre-credit sequence in the original Friday the 13th. Yes. And then also a lot of them are wearing yellow shirts, which is kind of an homage to those like yellow rain jackets mm-hmm. that uh, Camp Crystal Lake has. They also had yellow polos, didn't yeah. they, in the yeah. beginning? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, let's see, what else? Oh, this is another one of the ad-lib things that I thought was actually kind of important. So it's during one of the moments where Vicky is fighting with them. And I think it's when they're trying to decide who can be the final girl. And they mention Gertie. Because I think Vicky's like, oh, Gertie, you're a loser. You can't do it. And Gertie feels like, no, I slept with someone. And it goes into this thing about it being... Your stepbrother. No. <laughs> Only in your family. Lost your stuck. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Michael will be pleased. Um, but no, it's supposed to be a, another kid at their school who's autistic. And Vicky kind of makes like a snide remark about that. And then Gertie like steps up and defends it. And she's like, well, no, he's actually very romantic and he's a nice person and da, da, da. Uh, apparently in the script, that whole scene was a little more mean-spirited. Mm. And when um, the actress kind of read it and was preparing for the scene, she was like, hey, I have a problem with this. Could I just like make my own dialogue and kind of change it a little bit? And they were like, yeah, sure. Let's, let's just shoot it your way and see how we feel. And when they did it, they were like, no, this is, this is better. You're right. We're going with your idea. Hmm. Okay. So I thought that was cool. That is cool. And and in general, through the whole shoot, they encourage them to do a lot of like, if you have an idea or a thought that you think would be cool, like just try it, we'll shoot it and see. And a, a lot of their improvisations were used in the final cut, especially a lot of Adam Devine's stuff with Kurt, mm-hmm. which he, again, Chris, you said yeah. he's a laugh riot in this film. Hilarious. I like it when they are collaborative like that. Um... Yeah, I think that's most of the like central things. We, we mm-hmm. hit most of the good ones along the way. Like the burning is a big influence yeah. on this film for sure. Love the burning. Yeah, so I, th- I think uh, I think we're good to go to final thoughts. Awesome. Well, should Chris go first since he brought it? And we know he likes it. I'll go first. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. yeah where are you at on this film? Well, I, obviously, I love it. I mean, there's a lot that goes into like my, my memories with this film. Like I said, I'm very nostalgic. So you know, like sometimes when you watch a movie. Everything is just perfect. You know, it's yeah. like the food you're eating, the day. That movie, when I watched it, was just like, it was one of those kind of times where it was like, I would even say like top 10, like best movie experiences at home. Like the watching moment it. itself, yeah. And it was one of those, you know, sometimes you watch a movie and it's just the right time. Mm-hmm. You know, like, I can't, I don't, I don't remember specifically, but I'm pretty sure that movie came out pretty close to when I had, well, like when It Follows it came out. Mm. Uh, the Babadook. It's definitely when I watched them. So it was a nice break from those like real like heavy psychological yeah. horror movies I was watching. That was kind of the birth of that new like I'm gonna say it, Jason, elevated horror. Mm. And so this is a good like throwback. Yeah, it was a fun. You know, it was one of those kind of movies where it's like if I'm in the mood for a, a horror comedy, it's nice to know that I got the Burbs and I got you know like the Final Girls I can watch. You know, mm-hmm. like a twofer. I love the Burbs, by the oh, way. Oh man, me too. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think Jason so much, but I used to skip school. To go watch that dude. Fourth grade, I had so many sore throats just because I wanted to go home and watch the Burbs. But um, that's hilarious. I love that. (laughs) I do remember seeing that in the theater. But please continue. But yeah, it's just one of those kind of movies where it's like I know it's not perfect. It's obviously it's got issues. But for me personally, it was just that right time. Um, just a fun. You know, it was like right at the beginning of like my full blown collecting of like I always collect the movies, but that was one of the first like blind buys will say mm. that I went out and got. So 
Which is a big deal. It always feels great when you make a blind buy and then yeah. you turn out to love the film. Yeah, it pays off. There are very few times where I watch a movie where I'm like, I got to tell everybody yeah. about this. And that was one of them. So I was like, I, I championed that movie. It was one of the first ones I did. So nice. Killer. I love it. I gave it like a four star on Letterboxd. Solid. No. Well, you're on point because I was going to set up, we do the Letterboxd ratings, but you, you got it. All right. Cool. Nice. Um, I'll go next. Okay. We'll we're running around the table here. Sure. Um, so I want to get comparative to Muck to talk about this a little bit because 2015, they came out the same year. At the same time, these were both happening and going on. And I, I think if you compare these two films, what happens is it really shines a light on what a turd Muck is as a movie. <laughs> um, so there are this isn't a perfect film. You're totally right about that, Chris. I'm with you 100%. Like, the times they use CGI are kind of egregious, and they didn't even really need to be there. And the car crash is like, oof, that's really rough to me. Um, it, it almost feels like when it starts to flip, it's a different frame rate or something. And yeah, there's something weird going on there. It it really looks bad. And I, I, I wish they had done anything different, whether they cut the camera away or something, anything. Um, and it's weird to me too, because in the later part of the film, they do a practical car crash. Pretty good. With, yeah. Really good. When Paula and Kurt run into the totem pole. Yeah. So it's like, you maybe it was just a budget thing. I'm sure. But still it's like, ah. You did it right once, so why can't you do it the other time? I don't yeah. know. Um, and there were some things that are kind of just like weird narrative elements. Like, I don't think cigarette ash would ignite like that with alcohol, but that's a little contrived. But it's like, I get it. You needed a fire in the theater to make it happen. So. Yeah. Uh, and then my only other like real criticism thing is, is the rating, the PG-13. Uh, I get why they did it. But to me, like, if you really want to make this love letter to slashers, you need to go, like, the whole step Mm -hmm. and lean into everything else. Like, I think if it was that R-rated and there was more gore and everything else, like, that would almost just knock it up to a perfect film for me. Yeah. Because I I did love it so much. But, like, it's just an amazing love letter to the genre. Uh, I know last time I said Muck was kind of trying to be, like, a throwback love letter. And it it (laughs) is in some ways. But this manages to, like, pull at your heart. And if you've ever loved slashers, loved... 80s horror, classic horror films like that, like it will pull at you and like really draw you in and give you those, uh, like you said, Chris, nostalgic feelings where it's just like, it fills you with this warmth and appreciation. Um, I really loved that all the characters had a lot of depth to them because that's one of the like criticisms of a slasher film is that like, oh, the characters are disposable and they're throwaway and they don't matter. But uh, there is a lot going on here. Like Gertie's got some good depth to her, even as a side character, her interest in Kurt or her interest in Blake. And then, like, the whole, like, the autistic kid story thing. Um, Vicky, the way they resolve her, like, mean girl story. And there's, like, a, an actual, like, reason behind it mm-hmm. that they resolve. Um, even the the Chris character, who's kind of, like, the, the leading guy. Um, one of his ad-lib scenes is in that final moment when it's just Max and Chris. And um, he kind of brings up, he's like, hey, Max, are you, are you scared about doing this? And she's like, oh, I don't know. And he says, well, I am. And that was ad-libbed by him. He wanted to throw that in to actually give his character like some vulnerability that he's not just like the tough guy yeah. that's just like there to back her up or anything. Like he he's in this moment and it really humanizes him in a lot of way where he's not just the leading guy or like the love interest, mm-hmm. uh, which is cool. Um, uh, one film, I, I don't think we've hit it yet talking about it, but one it reminded me of a lot was Behind the Mask, The Rise of Leslie Vernon. Mm-hmm. Um, Classic that kind of has that same like meta concept where like you're in a slasher story, but it's more of like a real world 
orchestrating into being one instead of actually like entering a movie. Mm-hmm. Um, but they, they had the, it made me think of that film a lot because it has the same vibe where it's like very comedic, very aware of all the elements of what a slasher is. And it both leans into those, but also it goes kind of meta and subverts those in ways that's like interesting and entertaining. Mm-hmm. Um, I would love to see a sequel. I guess we're probably never going to see not one. Gonna but happen, no. Uh, it, it is what it is. Um, There'll be a remake before there's a sequel. Yeah. <laughs> but I'll say this. For this era of horror films, and especially slashers, it's a Stone Cold classic. You need to see it if you haven't. If the Blu-ray is still cheap, definitely yeah, it's, it's a pickup. it's very cheap, yeah. Um, I loved it start to finish, other than those few little nitpicks, mm-hmm. and I'm right at a four star. Nice. Excellent. Yeah, I mean, I, I feel the same way you guys do about it. Um, it has its issues. It's not perfect. Like It should have been R-rated. Because as you say, comparing it to Leslie Vernon, which is a good comparison. Oh, uh, that, that one is R-rated, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And it also works as a slasher film. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Whereas this doesn't really work as a slasher film, but if it went a little bit further, it, it could. Yeah. yeah. I guess it's maybe more of a comedy. Right. Than, it doesn't yeah. necessarily need to work as one, but... I mean, why not? You know, you, you, you could do both. Yeah, why not both? Yeah. Um, sure. Uh, yeah, the, the cast is great. The acting is good. I like that it's an actually a heartfelt story. Um, you know, it's smart. It has all the slasher tropes. Even if you've never really seen a lot of slasher movies, they kind of walk you through it and you get yeah. it. It's not going to alienate you if you're not a big horror fan. That is a good point to bring up, I think, because it's not like you have to already be steeped in it to appreciate mm-hmm. it. Right. Um, I do think I like the outtakes but I think they should have waited a few beats before cutting to it <laughs> I think they go in it too fast oh yeah and it kind of kills the mood but man they're so funny though yeah, yeah. <laughs> they are funny they are good it's definitely worth seeing Um, I think I've said all my other critiques of it Uh, I think it is a lot of fun I like what it has to say I like I love the movie within a movie feel of it uh, I give it three and a half stars. Oh. For you, that is <laughs> quite quite a high regard. <laughs> I paid a good one. <laughs> yeah, no, it's definitely congratulations, a good one. Chris. You're you. you're now in the legendary Hall of Fame for genre exposure. Yes, you have Jason's approval. Um, I have one little more thing before we do our wrap up. Yeah, I thought since this is the final girls, and we're talking about final girls, and we talked about the idea of the final girl. Sure. I want to know what your all's favorite final girl is. Ooh, okay. And you might need to think about it for a moment, so I guess I'll knock mine out first. Yeah, go for it. To let you guys stew on this. So for me, there's only one, and it has to be this one, and that's Jenny Field from Friday the 13th Part 2, played by Amy Steele. I love the angle of her as, like, the psychology student, and it's played very well for, like, a basis of all the actions that she takes throughout the film. She has this super strong presence, and she just, like, drips this charisma every second you're on you see her on the screen, like you just love her immediately the second you see her and how smart she is, how resourceful she is. The fact that she kind of intuits this connection between Jason and his mother and has that idea to, you know, don her sweater and pretend to be her. That's such a legendary slasher moment. It's just so iconic. And then the fact that like the second they roll up at the camp, she knows something's not right. And she's already like on about that before the kills even start racking up. And, and of when we talk about, you know, Final Girls, she's in it. She does it herself. She's victorious mm-hmm. and makes it away and lives to tell the tale. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of people, when you talk about that as a franchise, like a lot of people focus on Alice because she is the first one. Sure. 
but you know, Alice dies at the start of the sequel, and that kind of yeah. we're on some sort of weird baby jumper yeah. muddies up the water a little bit. <laughs> but you know, Ginny did it; she survived. She killed Jason, and she gets to live on. And I really love Tommy Jarvis a ton, and I think it's cool that he kind of is like the Laurie Strode of Friday the Thirteenth, and we have a final boy, mm-hmm. which is its own cool like switch of everything. Mm-hmm. I mean, but to me, Ginny is the Friday final girl, and a fucking lover. Yeah, that's that. That was my first thought. <laughs> Was <laughs> um, would you like to go, yeah. Chris? Favorite final girl? That's a tough question. Yeah. Um, I maybe should have told you guys in advance. But I'm yeah. glad you didn't, though. Um, <laughs> it makes raw, you think more honestly. Makes you, you know, yeah. the, Give me your raw reaction. I'm going to be honest with you. I'm not a huge... Horror fan. <laughs> <laughs> what? Unless they're stuck. Um, I'm, not a, I'm not a huge fan of final girls, mm. if that makes sense. I've always been more... It's like... I've always been more about the monster. I mean, I love Halloween, but I love Halloween because mm. of um, Donald Pleasant's betrayal of Dr. Loomis. So that nothing yeah. to do with Lori or Jamie Lee Curtis. No, no, no disrespect. But if I had to pick one, it would probably be uh, Nev Campbell. I always liked her in the Scream movies of Sidney yeah. Prescott. I remember when Scream first came out, I was... I feel like I was knowledgeable enough with horror to re- recognize how important that movie was, especially mm-hmm. now looking back how... Oh, yeah. It, it, Saved her and changed everything. Uh-huh. Um, so I always liked her in um, the Scream movies. I thought that she was... You kind of got to watch her go through high school, and then you got to watch her go through you know, college, and then you got to watch her go through what she went through in Scream 3 in Hollywood. <laughs> um, and then in 4 and stuff. But yeah, I, I think Sidney Prescott has been my... Or Neff Campbell is Sidney Prescott. is my favorite final girl. But she's such a strong character, too. Yeah. Just Very relatable, too. Um, and you sadly weren't here for Muck, but um, we talked about that <laughs> last time, that in Scream, like, a lot of the earlier slasher franchises, they are more about the killer than the yeah. characters. And with Sidney Prescott, they really changed the game on that because she is the through line yeah. on that franchise. A dust of misspoke. You were lucky not to be here for a minute. <laughs> I'm going to go home and watch my just so I can. <laughs> All right. Since I will not say um, Amy Steele, oh. since you picked her, I will go with my second okay. gut guess instinct um, would be, I mentioned her before, but Alice, mm. Lisa Wilcox from Nightmare on Elm Street 4 and 5. She is my favorite Elm Street final girl. Yeah. Because yeah. just much like Amy Steele, she beats Freddy and survives. Mm-hmm. And goes on to live, I'm sure, a happy, fulfilling life. And there's something very relatable about her character, especially in yeah. 4, when she's all mousy and kind of withdrawn and stuff. And you see her make that change. Yeah, yeah. what horror geek doesn't relate yeah. to that? You know, mm-hmm. who doesn't feel like that every once in a while? And she's gorgeous. I'm just going to throw Yeah, that she's there, gorgeous. <laughs> and um, she was also in Star Trek The Next Generation. Wow. You had to get it in. <laughs> <laughs> One episode. Um, so, yeah, that's my, that's my pick. Alice. Killer. I love it. That's that's a good trio, I think. I think so, too. Yeah. Awesome. Well, this has been super fun. Chris, thank you so much, yeah, thank man. Thank you guys for, for having me. It's, it's a pleasure nice. to have you. Thank you. Thank we'll you. have to come back and visit us again. For sure. Yes. Now that you've done it once, we'll we'll drag you in more, I'm um, sure. I'd be happy to. Man. It was a lot of fun. <laughs> awesome. Um, for next time, before we do our wrap-up, what's what's oh, coming shit. up next? It's your oh, yeah. pick, Jason. Oh, God. It's my pick. Okay. Uh, but we did two 2015 yeah. movies. Which, which I love it because every time we do these, we end up accidentally making connections. Yeah. So I didn't even tell you anything about what I picked. And then you picked one from the same year yeah. that couldn't be more different. Couldn't be more different. <laughs> <laughs> Not at all. So where are you taking us, Jason? Uh, I want to go back to the golden age of slashers. We're going to go all the way back to 1981. That's, that's, this, this film kind of sets that up. Yep. And I want to talk about the movie Bloody Birthday. Oh. I don't. I don't think I've seen this one. 
Okay, good. Excellent. Have you seen this one? I have not. But 81 is uh, one of the best years for horror movies ever. Hell yeah. Yeah, man. Um, I could tell you where you can watch it. Please. Um, I know that it is on Arrow Video. Oh. Let me see where else it is. I think this is one of those that's like on Tubi and shit like that. Tubi, man. They're saviors. <laughs> you got to yeah, find that go. weird movie. Da, 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 da. Yeah, it's on Tubi. Hell yeah. It's on Arrow. It's on Screenbox. Or if you want to pay oh, for it, I... you can rent it from Amazon. That's another score for Screenbox. Yeah. Um, sh- should I tell you the synopsis of this movie? Yes. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Hit us with it. In 1970, three children are born at the height of a total eclipse. Due to the sun and moon blocking Saturn, which controls emotions, they have become heartless killers ten years later and are able to escape detection because of their youthful and innocent facades. A boy and his teenage sister become endangered when they stumble onto the bloody truth. It's an interesting premise. Mm-hmm. Your voice is so captivating. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, bro. Yeah, I like, appreciate it. <laughs> Jason is our star talent on the show. Oh, oh God, we're in trouble. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, man, Chris, where can people find you if they want to go go look you up after this? Uh, right now, I'm just doing TikTok. Okay. Yeah, TikTok, 4K Outlaw. I'll um, make sure to put it in the show notes. I actually have to get TikTok now. Yeah. Damn it. <laughs> <laughs> Lots of physical media stuff, trying to keep it going. You know. Nice. Killer, well, go follow 4K Outlaw. Show him some love. Check out what he's doing. He's fighting the good fight, people. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> keeping, keeping physical and yeah, media keeping alive. Keeping it alive. Every format that I can. Started with beta, now we're at 4K. That's right. <laughs> well, hey. If you've seen The Final Girls, write in. Let us know what you think about it. We want to hear what you think. Tell us about how much better it is than Muck, for sure. <laughs> um, you know, you can hit us up on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. Email us at genreexposure at gmail.com. I have the stickers in, and I'm beginning to manifest a list of people to mail them to. Nice. If you would like a super cool genre exposure sticker, give us a movie recommendation to watch. And if we cover it on the show, I will send you a sticker. Mm-hmm. Completely free, completely voluntary, too, if you're like, I don't want these weirdos to have my address. That's totally cool, too. We promise we won't show up at your house in the middle uh, of the night. Once I rig up that list, I will be in touch with our prior uh, submitters, and mm-hmm. yeah, we'll get rolling on that. It should be fun. It should be Awesome, cool. yeah. Um, we need more suggestions. Always more suggestions. Feed, feed the beast. We hunger <laughs> We hunger for more. Um, but all that being said, Chris, we love you, man. Yeah, we love you, dude. Thanks for coming on. listening to the prescribed films podcast network home to hundreds of hours of free podcast entertainment the shows on this network all have a common goal providing you with the best discussions about movies and other forms of entertainment media the pfpn hopes to fill your ear holes with audio joy visit our website with links to all the other amazing shows at www.thepfpn.com thanks for listening